0: Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to another episode of Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli, and I want to wish everybody a happy new year. This is the first episode of the new year, 2018. And I am looking to make this episode a little more regular, meaning that I plan to put out a weekly episode and be fairly consistent with it. I might throw out the additional episode from time to time where I'll have two per week. But at this point in time, I'm going to do my best. In 2017, I was traveling a ton. I was all over the place. I was in Shanghai. I was traveling to Atlanta, Dallas, Baltimore, Phoenix, Northern California, Kansas City, I just travel so much that sometimes it's really, really hard to keep on top of a regular schedule for this podcast. In fact, uh, next week I'm flying out to Dallas and then straight to Mexico for some business there and then I'm flying out to San Diego. So I'll be gone for an entire week and I'll try to record on the road if I can, but I'll do my best for you. So let's just put it that way. Today's episode is very exciting because I have a very special guest. A lot of you may know him. If you don't, you're going to get to know him, and that is Ken McElroy, an extremely successful individual, and as you probably know, one of Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Advisors. We had a great interview, chock full of nuggets and wisdom, and I'm going to get to that here in just a moment. I just want to take a moment to thank everybody for the success the show has had over the last two and a half years, we have over 500 five-star reviews on iTunes. That's iTunes US. Every country has its own iTunes store, and so it has its own review and rating system. So this is just the US. And we are also heard, speaking of other countries, in over 125 countries. So thank you to everybody from as far as Israel, Australia, the UK, Portugal, you name it, France. So It's because of you that this show is a success. And the reason I do it is to help share information, wisdom, knowledge with you guys. So, having said that, once again, I just want to say that we had an incredible 2017. It was our busiest year ever. And we're on track to make 2018 the same. We love helping real estate investors, people who are real estate investors or want to be real estate investors. So, if you're one of those people that have been listening for a while, sitting on the fence, you've got some investable capital. And you know, you need to make a decision on your financial future. Let us help you take it to the next level or let us help you get started. That's what we're here to do. Just schedule a free strategy session with one of our investment counselors. Have that initial 30 or 60 minute conversation to figure out where you are today, where you want to go, what is the plan and the path to get you there. And then we can take that roadmap and help you take it one step at a time to achieve those financial goals. It really just comes down to having a plan, executing that plan, and having a criteria that's attached to it. And it's not that hard to do, and we want to help you do it. In fact, I'm probably going to record a podcast episode about that topic. I just need to jot down some notes and schedule some time to do it. So I will try to do that here in the very near future. And last but not least, I've been very busy looking at underwriting some syndication deals as well. I've looked at a number of them last year, and unfortunately, they just didn't meet my criteria. My underwriting basically just punted it out the doors, and one of them took over three months to underwrite. What we have on the table right now for people who are either accredited or are not accredited but have a smaller amount of investment capital, I'm looking to put together syndicated or group investments of 10-pack or 20-pack single-family homes. That's something that I have started working on. However, I'm probably not going to release or announce that for a month or two. Two opportunities I'm working on actively right now, and that actually is open to accredited investors, are cannabis-related investments. And yes, believe it or not, real estate does play into some of those opportunities. There is information available, but it is not posted on our website. You would have to just reach out to me directly for that information. And I would need to connect with you via email and or phone before I can send you that information. Anyway, lots of good stuff going on. And with that, I am going to take a short little break and come back to Ken McElroy. So stay tuned for that. It's my pleasure to welcome Ken McElroy to the show. Ken is the founder and principal of MC Companies, where he oversees the asset portfolio and leads the day-to-day operations. With over $700 million invested in real estate, Ken offers a unique perspective on how to get the biggest return on your investments. Ken is also an advisor to Robert Kiyosaki of The Rich Dad Company and wrote numerous books and audio programs, including his first best-selling book in 2004, The ABCs of Real Estate Investing. Followed by the ABCs of Property Management, The Advanced Guide to Real Estate Investing, and most recently his book on Entrepreneurship, The Sleeping Giant. Ken, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thank you. It's great to be on. I'm really looking forward to today.
0: Yeah, thanks, Ken. It's great to have you on. I've been wanting to get you on the show for quite a while. It's just I've been a little too busy and I've actually skipped some episodes but I finally had the privilege of meeting you at a video recording studio in Phoenix where you and I were part of a curriculum for an upcoming wealth training program along with guys like Russell Gray, Tom Wheelwright, and several others. So that was a lot of fun and it was great to connect with you there.
1: It was a nice day, yeah. Anytime we can do, I think, good quality education, there's not a lot out there. I like to show up to those things.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. So Ken, I love your books, you know, and I feel that they should be on everyone's must-read list. So some people might not know who you are, so let's just start by learning a little bit about you. And if you don't mind, take a minute and just tell us how you got started in real estate.
1: Sure, happy to do that. I actually started, it was a, a little bit of a fluke out of university. I, I grew up in Seattle, and in the 80s, as so I was graduating from school, a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to manage an apartment building in downtown Seattle. And of course, being broke and had student debt and all the things that come with that, you know, he said, it's a free apartment plus a little bit of a salary. and All you got to do is collect rent. Well, obviously that turned into really an opportunity for me to learn the business. While I was finishing school, I was managing the 60 unit of building and ended up doing everything to it. You know, the construction, I had a construction background because my dad was a contractor and collecting the rents. And that's really when you can take all the stuff that you kind of learn in business class and apply it. And I decided to get my real estate license and I ended up managing a bunch of properties all up and down the Seattle and Tacoma kind of corridor there and all the way up by Canada. And I really got kind of my first real, I really jumped into the property management world. And so I was in property management for the first eight to 10 years. Then I made the decision to start buying. And I would say the property management side of the business really gave me the courage to understand the numbers and understand how to run things and understand how to take on bad projects and turn them around. And so really, really grateful of having that opportunity. And then I never looked back from there. Now I own 10,000 apartments, uh, about a billion dollars worth We have 300 employees, and we're in multiple states, primarily Arizona and Texas. We do ground up construction, and we do value add. We've done condo conversions. Uh, I own some commercial buildings. I own storage buildings, you know, storage facilities. I'm building them. So, uh, you know, just expanded my knowledge into other industries now. And we got there through syndication. You quickly run out of money, and you have to learn how to raise it. And so. Had to learn that. Had to learn how to talk to lenders. You know, had to learn basically everything. And along the way, I met Robert Kiyosaki. A lot of people know who he is. I actually did not know who he was when we first met. <laughs> this uh, surprising because I I hadn't read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I was already knee deep in real estate. But before I met him, I actually did read it. And I ended up reading the book and then meeting with him and Kim. And and then they ended up investing with us. Most of the stuff that Robert talks about, if not all of it is with our firm, any of his real estate investments that he talks about publicly. And he asked me to write a book, and I did, and I donate all my books to charity, all my speaking engagements, they all go to charity. So that's why I write them, actually, because it's a great way to fund nonprofits. Sure. And So it's been fun. It's been really fun, and, and it keeps the edge. When I have to speak or teach, I get very prepared for those things, and I really enjoy doing it. And it keeps me on the leading edge of a lot of issues. So it's been a great balance for me.
0: That's an incredible journey and an amazing success story. I mean, to think of where you came from about 20 years ago to where you are today is unbelievable. You know, a lot of people might look at that and say, oh, he's an overnight success. Well, yeah, it was an overnight success that was 20 years in the making. But that's fantastic. I look forward to getting some of that wisdom shared with our audience here today. And in terms of your books, I I didn't realize that you were giving the proceeds to charity. I think that's a great idea.
1: Yeah, it's a great way to do it. I'm running another one. I always have some kind of non-profit in mind.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, maybe I could pick your brain on that because I actually have a book coming out next month and it's been five years in the making and I plan to do the same thing and I have no idea what charity to actually target. So maybe I can get some ideas from you on that. Of course. Great, thanks. So let's just start with kind of a macro thing here. I've been looking at the news recently and Congress just passed a new tax plan, which by the way, is over five hundred and sixty pages, and you know it's the first major tax reform in decades. There are people out there saying that it's going to hurt the economy, and then there's a whole other group of people that are cheering it on and saying it'll stimulate the economy. And I mean, they both make valid points, but I wanted to just get your opinion on this. Do you think this new tax plan will be bullish for our economy, and 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 especially for real estate investors? What do you think?
1: Yeah, I do. I think. Tom Wheelwright would be a great person to talk about this. You know, Tom is a rich advisor and Mm -hmm. and is an expert in tax, but I'll give you my limited viewpoint on what I think. This tax reform for my industry gave us numerous critical victories. It provides tax cuts for individuals. It provides pass-throughs for our LLCs, our limited liability companies, our partnerships, our S-Corps, and the REIT entities. And not that I'm a REIT, but while it does that, it leaves intact critical provisions that promote the development and operation of apartment housing. So there were a lot of things in the tax code. And this is why a lot of people invest in our deals is because they can invest and cash flow tax free with the depreciation. And so as a multifamily firm, we're going to be able to continue to fully deduct the business interest and conduct like kind of exchanges, you know, the 1031 exchanges. Mm-hmm. And we're still going to be able to depreciate our buildings. Over 30 years. Now it was 27 and a half, but that's really insignificant. And there's a big victory for the production of affordable housing in the act to, to retain both the low income housing tax credit and the private activity bonds. And so there's a lot of things that bode really well for us. And, you know, I'm throwing out a lot of jargon and a lot of people might not understand what that means. Basically what that means is that the industry as a whole, my industry benefits by investing into housing for people. Mm -hmm. And so as Tom Wheelwright will tell you, he says if the government essentially tells you where they want you to put your money Mm -hmm. through tax. And so right now, as you probably know, there's a big serious supply issue. There's not enough apartment housing, and which is why we're having these crazy rent rates and the prices are going crazy right now, at least in my arena. And that's because there's not enough. And so the government's recognized that, and this is an incentive for multifamily investors and builders, contractors to keep investing into this sector, and then they get rewarded for it.
0: Yeah, we've had Tom on the show before, and he's always said that the tax code is really a playbook for investors on where you should be putting your money and where you can get the most tax benefits, which is an immediate return on the bottom line, because you know the less tax you pay, it goes straight into your pocket.
1: It's overwhelming. I got to tell you, the tax book, the tax code, and just like reading legal, it can be overwhelming. And he's right. The point is, is that the government, if they want you to invest in oil and gas, they give you incentives for that. In alternative fuels, they give you incentives for that. We've seen this over time. When the government recognizes a need, they create tax breaks in that area for people to benefit from if they want to go into that area. So it is a very important thing to watch. And for my industry, multifamily, we did very, very well this round.
0: What about for the individual investor, the guy who's out there building a small portfolio of single-family homes or duplexes? Is the same true for those guys?
1: From what I've read, I believe so. The biggest reason to invest in real estate, in my opinion, well, there's two. Cash flow is one. But also, you can generate cash flow with no tax so most people have a tough time getting their head around that. They don't understand. Most people don't understand that my company is distributing over a million a month. You know, we're hardly paying any tax on that legally because of the depreciation. Let's say you buy a thirty million dollar apartment building. Well, you get a million dollars a year of depreciation expense. Mm-hmm. So if the property is kicking out five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars in cash then what happens is that you actually get to write the million dollars off of that. Right. So you're actually showing a loss. So you're distributing money and you're showing a loss. It's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, it's a loss on paper, but in actuality, you have hard earned spendable dollars that go that flow through to your pocket.
1: Correct, right, yes. That hasn't gone away. You That's know? an so
0: amazing benefit.
1: It's a incredible benefit.
0: Yeah, and I don't think there's any other asset class that provides that benefit. Real estate is by far the king of preferred investments. So that's a good segue here to the topic of home ownership, because you mentioned the fact that there is tightening in the market, that there's a shortage of supply. Today in the US, home ownership is about 63.5%, plus or minus, which is down from about 69% just 12 years ago. And that number is propped up because of the people that are 65 and above. You know, at the same time, I I read a Harvard study recently that the home ownership rate for those that are age 35, I guess that would include a lot of the millennials, is only 31%, which is very, very low. John Burns, who I think you know, is forecasting home ownership to fall below 61% in 2025 because of low incomes and other factors. So is home ownership a myth? And what do you see in the future here?
1: Well, it's low. You know, I do follow that number. And- I mean, if you look at other countries, which is, I think, a good, healthy thing to do, we're healthy. If you go to Europe or Canada, there's a balance everywhere. When we got up into the high 60s, that was actually under Bush, believe it or not. And he was promoting everyone needs own home. And, you know, that created the bubble, which everybody's still kind of dealing with right now. And, you know, so it wasn't actually even Obama, although he had to deal with it. So I think... There is a balance that's necessary. And so I'm a member of the National Apartment Association and the National Multi Housing Council. You know, there's about a 35% need for multi housing, period, no matter where you are in every sector. So mm-hmm. there is always going to be, whether that's people that are mobile or they're tentative on their jobs, there's a lot of people that are actually selling their homes and renting right now. And then you've got your students and your folks that can't quite afford a home right now. But to answer your question directly, I think I'm a big fan of home ownership for one reason and one reason only. I don't think people are very diligent on saving any money at all. I think that people consume so much. Every time they get an increase, they go buy a bigger house or get another car or buy a boat or whatever. And I think that if people had a home then they can build up equity in that home, hopefully, as they pay down. Because that mortgage interest is also a tax break. So I'm a big fan of home ownership, even though it directly competes with my industry. I mm-hmm. think it's a necessary piece for Americans to, to survive.
0: Yeah, well, I tend to agree with you. I mean, we live in a consumeristic society, and people love to spend. I mean, 50% of the U.S. population cannot scrape together $500 in an emergency if they needed to which is a scary statistic. But what you're saying is that home ownership is essentially a forced savings plan because you have no choice but to amortize your loan to build equity because you don't have a choice but to pay a mortgage payment every month, right?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I think without knowing it, you know, they're building their own equity because they're paying down their... (laughs) In all honesty, even though I'm in the rental business, I think it forces people to pay their mortgage on time and build equity in a home. So I'm a big fan of home ownership because a lot of people right now don't have a lot of, they don't have a lot of savings. It's really crazy to me.
0: Well, I don't know if that means it's bearish or bullish for us as real estate investors. I mean, you're pro home ownership, but at the same time, we have crippling credit levels across the country, including student loans. The millennials are not you know, in a big rush to go out and buy homes. So that just means more tenants for people like you and me. I think that's bullish for us.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is. And whenever we see homeownership go from 69 to 63, that's the entire reason there's so much pressure on the multifamily industry. So there's literally not enough apartments for demand. They say that the demand goes out to 2025. Yeah. I believe that. So we're really, really undersupplied right now. My industry is hotter than hot Mm -hmm. and it will be for a while.
0: Well, I like to look at trends and that's exactly the trend. The trend is that for the foreseeable future and probably up until 2025, according to John Burns, we're going to see home ownership continue to fall, which means increasing demand for rentals, whether it's single families, duplexes, fourplexes, apartment buildings, whatever the case may be. I think it's a great time to be in real estate as a real estate investor. So I'm very happy about that.
1: Yeah, you should be. And I agree with you.
0: So two of the major things I look for when I am looking at markets and choosing markets are job growth, and population growth. However, you know because of cap rate compression here over the last four or five years and the thinning inventories that we're seeing in all these markets, we're having a hard time finding more markets and more inventory. My question to you is, how and where are you finding investable real estate deals today? Because we're having a challenge. Although we're getting through, we're having a challenge.
1: Those are the two primary drivers that, that we follow as well, Marco. And a lot of people are moving to second and third tier markets. Like I would say Las Vegas is a third tier market and New York, Boston would be first tier. Phoenix would be actually be second tier. Mm -hmm. Tucson would be third tier. Vegas would be third tier. So you really have to do your homework and to see, as you pointed out, kind of where, you know, as Wayne Gretzky says, where's the puck going, right? They asked him Mm -hmm. why he was such a good hockey player. He's like, well, I was, I would skate to where I thought the puck was going. And it's kind of the same thing so if if we could go each city is so unique in the way that they're attracting business or not, and so if you can get your arms around the little nuances that go on all over the country, whether it's Florida or Arizona or Washington, it doesn't really matter. You know every state and every city is kind of pro this or not, right and so if you can kind of figure that out. I've seen entire communities resurrect over the price of oil. Yeah, you know I've seen them um, crash over a military deployment. So you start to get a little smarter about things like that. You got to be careful of those things. It's kind of like Bitcoin. I remember everybody's running up to the Bakken when oil was going crazy, and you know they had all those oil reserves up in North Dakota, and they and everybody was going up there and building housing, and then boom, it's poof, and so a lot of people lost money at the end. So. And I'm not saying Bitcoin will or won't, I'm just saying that you want to invest in a market that has some diversity and has some stability and isn't predicated on one kind of industry.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. We were pitched a lot of deals up in North Dakota when oil was a $100 a barrel and that market was booming because there was literally no housing for people. And you look back now and you realize, geez, that place is almost a ghost town. Yep. So, you know, I call those markets one trick pony markets. Although I'm a little surprised, just ever so slightly surprised to hear you call Las Vegas a tier three market. I'm guessing that's because so much of that economy is based on tourism. Is that true?
1: Well, I used to live there. I used to run four or 5,000 units there and I bought investments there. And so, you know, it's only an hour flight for me. And the entire engine for Las Vegas is around the person that flies in and spends $1,000 you know, on hotels and dinners and bottles of wines or going out or whatever and then flies out. And so if people aren't doing that, Las Vegas gets hurt. And if you really want to take an interesting view on Las Vegas, all you have to do is take a look at the big boys and see what they're doing for hotel rates. So when you start to see the $99 hotel rate, you know, they're hurting, Uh you know, that means that things aren't going so well. Now you're not going to see that around March Madness or some of the Super Bowl or things like that. But generally, the health of Las Vegas has to do with casino occupancy. And they say that every room in Vegas produces seven jobs. Mm -hmm. And so the seven jobs would be not just the people inside the casino, but they would be the people that handle the linens, the people that deliver the food, anything and everything that would happen outside of the casino to and so there are not a lot of new casinos being built, and although the economy's starting to come back and, and Vegas is actually doing okay. yeah. But the point is, is that I consider it a third-tier city because it, it rises and falls based on consumer spending.
0: Yeah, okay. That's what I thought you were going to say. That That makes a lot of sense. My interview with Ken McElroy will be continued on the next episode, so I look forward to seeing you there and continued success.